It's good to see everyone tonight. As I said, we continue along the line of looking at the minor prophets. The next one that we come to tonight is Obadiah. And that's one you've got to look carefully for because in some Bibles it may only be a page or even a page and a half like it is in my Bible. This is the shortest in length of the minor prophets, but his message is no less important than any of the others. But it is the shortest one. I'll tell you, as you're turning there, as you're trying desperately to find where that is, if you don't have tabs. So Obadiah, as I said, is the shortest. And he is the one that is the least known about, about who he was, where he came from, and so forth. And I'm calling him the mysterious prophet because there's so little known about him. But he has a very specific message. So we're going to learn more about what his message was rather than about who he is. And I think that's appropriate. You know, we'd like to know about Hosea and Amos, and we'd like to know more about Obadiah and Jonah and these guys. But the real important thing is not necessarily who they were, but it's, a, it's what they said, because that's the words of God. You see, God inspired Obadiah to say this. So Obadiah, I call him the mysterious prophet of the minor prophets. So who was he? Nobody knows. In one of the commentaries, it says, when, where was he born? No one knows. What country was he born in? Nobody knows. What time did he prophesy? Now, we have some clues about that, but we don't know for sure. Who were his parents? We don't know. You know, some of these guys identify themselves as the son of so-and-so. We don't know who his parents were. When and where did he die? We don't know. These are all questions which have been asked from the remotest of antiquity and which to this day have received no answer worthy of recording. Now, the name Obadiah, it means servant of Jah, J-A-H. And that is a short name for Jehovah, for God, Jah. So his name means servant of Jah. And you can kind of deduce or understand from what he's saying uh, something about when he prophesied. Because if you'll, if you'll see the words we're going to look at here in the opening, this is a prophecy against Edom, which is the nation established by Esau, the brother of Jacob. Jacob and Esau, you know, were twins. And if you read the language about how Edom, Esau's nation, was acting towards Judah and towards Israel, it's pretty clear that he prophesies a short time after the fall of Judah. Okay, it sounds as though Judah has already gone into captivity. And if you know anything about the history, Israel was about 100 plus years before that. Israel goes down first. Judah goes down second into captivity. So we're dealing with the time frame. It's believed the time frame in which the children of Israel had recently the children of Judah. Excuse me. The children of Judah had recently been taken into captivity up in Babylon hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And this would be the same time of of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, those guys. It's believed that he was a contemporary with uh, some of the other prophets. Well, he had to be with Jeremiah, with Ezekiel. And by the way, there is a chapter in Jeremiah that is has very almost identical language as Obadiah. And nobody knows, did Obadiah, you know, copy Jeremiah or did Jeremiah copy Obadiah? If they're inspired of the Lord, we know they weren't copies of each other, but they are very, very similar in what they say. So we don't know a whole lot about him, but we can gather when he prophesied. And he, and of course, it's relevant to us today, as you will see. So what was he? Let's read in chapter 1, and there's only one chapter, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, and that is the nation founded by Esau. 
We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her, against Edom, in battle. So here we have, in, his, in the very outset, he is prophesying that the Lord is raising up other foreign nations to destroy a foreign nation. That's interesting. And you'll see why the Lord is so angry with Edom. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you, in, in the Word of God, Edom, which comes from Esau, is pretty much on the same level as Egypt, okay? In, in terms of how God views it, and I don't, mean, I don't mean they're equal kind of nations or in power, but when the Lord has a very negative tone towards Egypt and also towards Edom. And one of the reasons is it, it represents all things natural in this world, and I'm not saying God is against his own nature. I'm talking about the fallen world of man. Edom represents the fallen world of man. Egypt represents man at his best also. So let's consider what he is saying here. First of all, it says the vision of Obadiah. So if you think about it, this, this man literally was caught by the Spirit and God put something in his eyes and in his mind to see. Sometimes a man would have a dream. You read about Daniel. He had a lot of dreams. Sometimes Daniel was actually taken places by God. And then sometimes the, the men of God would just be given a word to speak. God gets a hold of them and puts the words in their mouth. And these men speak the words of God, inspired by the Holy Ghost. And sometimes men are given visions. And we've got to be real careful about visions and dreams. <laughs> You know, I could come before you today and say, well, you know, I had kind of a vision dream last night. And I didn't. I'm just being funny. But last night I dreamed three of the worst things that's ever occurred to me in a dream. First of all, I dreamed I was in a plane crash. <laughs> and then the next phase of my dream was I was in a tunnel and a giant bug was trying to get me. <laughs> and then the third phase of my dream, later on sometime, I'd wake up and I'd go back to sleep, start dreaming again. The third part was the rapture occurred and half my family was gone. And we know there is no such thing as a rapture in the Word of God. But in my dream, all of a sudden, the rapture was real. <laughs> and I think it was Brother Asher and a couple other kids were gone. And I was sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? <laughs> that was a nightmare. God didn't send that vision to me, you see. That's crazy. Isn't it? If, if you were a person that believed in visions and dreams, you could make some hay with that. Could you not? That wasn't from God. It wasn't a vision from God. But it certainly kept my sleep disturbed. It was some of my crazy thoughts and different things that manifest themselves in my dreams. This guy right here is having a vision from God. God puts something in his mind and he sees this and he reports it and writes it down. And the vision that he sees is God stirring up other countries to destroy a country called Edom. Now, you, people say, well, you know, God just really doesn't involve himself in such politics and wars and things like that, does he? Well, you can't read the Old Testament and believe that. Now, I can't sit here and say, well, how he works among the countries today and the nations today. I can't sit here and tell you that because I don't know the mind of God. His ways are above my ways and his thoughts are above my thoughts. But don't ever forget that if he chooses to do something with a nation or against a nation, including the United States of America, then he is sovereign and he has the right to do that. If he's wiped out his own nation for disobedience, don't tell me for a second that he could not deal with another nation of this world in the same way. Now, I don't know, that may scare you. It comforts me 
to know that God would deal with a nation that was especially a nation that was so against his own nation. That's why God deals with Edom like he does. So here we have a vision and the vision is God is raising up nations to destroy Edom. And I ask you the question, where is Edom today? It's gone. You know why? Because God raised up nations to destroy it. It's wiped out. Now there's descendants of people from Esau. There's descendants of the nation of, of Edom or the Edomites, or some of you may recognize the song from some of the songbooks that's called Edomea. That's this, another word for Edom. Edomea, Edom, Eda. That's, that's another word for Edom. There's an old sacred harp song called Edomea. So here we have the, the prophet is seeing the vision of total destruction, total annihilation of a country. And by the way, this comes to pass in just a couple years. Nebuchadnezzar, the same guy who wiped out Judah and wiped out that nation of God, wipes out Edom or Esau in just a short period of time. Now, you want to read about Esau? There's a lot in the Word of God to read about Esau. And there's even a verse that says later on in the Word of God, it says Esau is Edom. So when you read the word Edom or you read Esau, you're either dealing with the individual Esau or the nation Edom because Esau founded Edom. And the word Esau means red. That's what the Hebrew word means. So Esau was a, he was a very hairy and a red man. And that's where the name Esau came from. You want to read about Edom? It was powerful. It was a very powerful nation. The dukes of Edom are listed in, it's not the Duke of Earl, it's the dukes of Edom listed in Genesis 36. You can read about them in 1 Chronicles. It's very interesting to read about how powerful that nation was. And it was founded, again, by the other twin son of Isaac. You know, Jacob and Esau were brothers. So Esau goes on and becomes a great man, even though he was a terrible, wicked man. So you can read even in, uh, let's go to Psalm 137 to put this in perspective. In Psalm 137, it gives you some very specific information about why God was mad with Edom. You know, Judah's destroyed, and here comes God raising up a nations, nations to destroy another nation that adjoined Judah. By the way, it's to the south. This was a, Edom was a nation to the south of Judah. Let's read Psalm 137, and you'll notice the context by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. This is, the, this is the nation of Judah in captivity. They are sitting down in Babylon and weeping because they remembered when the, their homeland. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they, they that carried us away captive required of us a song. Their captors, the Babylons, were saying, we've heard you guys sing really well. We want you to sing us a song of Zion. And they said, we, we could not do it. We were so sad. They hung their harps up, and it says they required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And they say, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my, my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Now watch verse 7. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom. You hear that? In the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. You see, when Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed Judah, the Edomites came and observed it, and they said, great, this is wonderful. Raise the whole thing down to the foundation. To raise it means to tear it down to nothing. 
So not only is it bad enough that Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon are coming to destroy Jerusalem, you've got these Edomites over here on the side who have come to watch the show. And they're cheering on the Babylonians. Kill them, destroy them, kill them. So that is why God is mad at Edom. Now, isn't it interesting that the Edomites were not even the ones that came to do this. But God is still angry with a nation that just observed it and didn't do anything about it. Didn't do anything to help the children of Israel, the children of Judah. Okay? So you go back to Obadiah. And you can find other references to the Edomites throughout the Word of God. But let's read in Obadiah. Let's begin reading. Look at verse 2. He says, Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. He's referring to Edom, the nation of Esau. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. He goes on and describes ways in which they would try to hide from this judgment, but they're not getting away from the judgment. Now look on down to verse 8, which, by the way, is quoted in the New Testament. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter for thy violence against thy brother Jacob. Shame shall cover thee and thou shalt be cut off forever. That's a reference to the way that Esau wanted to kill Jacob. You remember for deceiving the dad and getting the blessing? You remember that? Esau, and it was terrible what Jacob did. I mean, we don't justify what Jacob did. Jacob's mother and Jacob were conniving to get ahead of the providence of God. God is well able to deliver to Jacob the blessing that he wanted Jacob to have. God's able to do that. But the mother and Jacob connived to get ahead of the game, so to speak. And look at the result. Esau said, I'm going to kill him. And Jacob had to leave home and he was gone for about 20 years. Terrible, see? And the Lord says the violence that he was going to do against Jacob, he said, I'm going to return that to you. Now, you know how many years before that was? That's around 700, 800 years. The Lord's got a long memory. You ever heard about a memory like an elephant? <laughs> the Lord's got a memory better than an elephant. And he remembers 700 years before the scene where Esau wanted to kill his brother. In that day, verse 11, now he's referring to the time when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. Just probably a couple years before. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all those guys went into captivity. He says, in the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, they gambled and said, which part of Jerusalem do you want to take? Well, this looks like a richer part over here, so we'll, we'll gamble and maybe I'll get that part and the spoil will be mine of the Babylonians. These men just stood by and watched all this and laughed and cheered it on. Verse 12, But thou shouldest not have looked on in the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You see, these guys are just standing over on the side going, Ha ha, take them out. They're worthless. You know, 700 years ago, they betrayed our, you know, their, their forefather, Jacob, betrayed our forefather, Esau. <laughs> Talk about being racist and being hateful. Thou shalt, verse 13, thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. They went into the city even after the Babylonians had taken it. They, yea, thou should not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. The Lord is being very specific, is he not? Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway 
to cut off those of his that did escape. There were some poor souls there among Judah that escaped. And as they're running away, here's the Edomites over here going, hey, 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 there's a guy trying to escape over here. You need to get him. These guys are, they're just mean. See? So, Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord, this is verse 15, is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. You know, if they had just thought about the Lord seeing what they were doing in the day that they were being so ugly to their neighbor there, to the neighboring country of Jerusalem, of Judah. If they had just thought, you know, the Lord's watching me. Maybe they wouldn't have done this, right? So the Lord hates Edom. And by the way, the Lord hates Esau. Yes, the Lord hates. That's a theme that comes on into the New Testament, isn't it? (laughs) It's not a very happy subject, is it? It says, Jacob have I loved. That's in Malachi, and it's in Romans 9. Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. You see some of the reason why God hated Esau and hated Edom, how hateful they were. But remember this, before Jacob and Esau even came into the world when they were still in the womb of their mother. (laughs) The Lord said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. You see, it's not amazing. I've said, how many times have we said this? It's not amazing that God hated Esau. It's amazing that God loved Jacob. That's what's amazing. God has a right to hate all of mankind because of man's wickedness and fall in the Garden of Eden. He has a right to do that. And nobody can question that. So that sounds harsh. No, it's not harsh. It's right. It's just. What was harsh and unjust was Christ, an innocent man, the God-man, an innocent one who paid for the sins of people that were guilty. That's not right. That's unjust. That's why we sing amazing grace, not amazing fairness or amazing justice. We don't want justice. We want grace. We want mercy. God hates Esau and he hates Edom and he's fixing to wipe it out according to the words of Obadiah. So let's bring this together as we bring our thoughts to a close. So Edom was an actual nation and it was set up by Esau. Okay. And Edom, the nation was actually destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And here is a nation that God destroyed just because they disliked the nation of God, Judah, the people of God. That's kind of sobering, is it not? Now, like Egypt, as I said earlier, Edom represents all that God hates about the natural fallen world and even wicked man at his best. You know, the Edomites were very successful from a financial standpoint, a trade standpoint, a cultural standpoint. They were very successful and very prosperous at different times in their existence. But that's not enough to garner favor with God, right? It's not your prosperity that garners favor with God. It's the blood of Christ, see? So man at his best. I mean, Egypt was the... The best in the world at the time they were mistreating the children of Israel. You remember that? They were the best that the world had. The highest power in the world in those days. And that was not good enough. Just being the highest power of the world is not good enough to gain favor with God. You see, it takes the blood of Christ. It takes the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. So in the close of the book of Obadiah, yet again, I don't know if you've noticed the theme at the end most of the time at the end of the chapters or at the end of the book of each of these minor prophets, they come back to the fact that God's kingdom is going to prevail over everything. It says there'll be a remnant left. There'll be the kingdom of God prevailing. And once again, look at verse 17 in this Obadiah. He says, but upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions 
And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. You see? And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. There's nobody left of the nation of Edom. Now there's descendants of Esau, of course, but in terms of being an Edomite or a nation of Edom, doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plains the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarepta, and the captivity by Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south, and saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. That's what he leaves you with. Okay? What do we draw from this? First of all, Proverbs 24 and 17 is is a very notable lesson. A very notable lesson. Proverbs 24 and 17 says this, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him, and turns his wrath to you. Have you ever had a situation where you said, this person did me wrong and they're going to get what they deserved. And when they got what they deserved, it was just, ha, yeah, they got what they deserved. That should never be the reaction of the child of God. First of all, you don't know whether or not that person could be a child of God. They just might be disobedient like Lot was or like Solomon was or like tens of thousands of other God's children were. You say, well, this president that was in lost or that politician over here got what they deserved and they lost or whatever. You don't know if that might not be a deceived child of God. Depending on what side of the aisle they fall on or both sides of the aisle, you could be a deceived child of God. And you go, ha! (laughs) Ha! You don't know if that might be a child of God or not. That's not your call. You can judge the fruit all day long, but you can't judge the heart. And these Edomites were over there saying, Ha! They got what they deserved. They did us wrong, so they got what they deserved. That is the worst kind of attitude that a child of God could ever have. You know, I've heard of, of people that, and when I say did me wrong or, or did something against me, I mean, that's such a rare circumstance. <laughs> But I have heard of situations where somebody said something or did something. And even in some circumstances, I know they were children of God. You saw the evidence that they were children of God. And then I would hear that, oh, goodness, you know, this came out. And, you know, they did this and they fell flat on their face. I mean, you know, I'm trying to be general because I don't want to call any names. But you understand, I mean, we reap what we sow. There's no question about it. If we sow to the whirlwind, we're going to reap the tornado. But I have heard when somebody would fall, they would fall flat on their face. And I would think of that verse right there. My natural tendency, I wanted to say, ha, they got what they deserved. I knew it was coming for them. That is a non-spiritual, non-Christian attitude. That's the Edomite attitude, if you will. I would think about that verse and I would bow my head and I'd say, oh, dear God, if they're your child, lift them up, help them. I would intentionally take my mind away from the vengeance that was stirring in my mind and my heart and come to something like this and just say, Lord, help. Thou knowest, Lord, help. See, we don't want to rejoice when our enemy falls. We need to just look up and just say, Lord, they're in your hands. The Edomites should have looked at the the folks at Judah and just said, Lord, they're in your hands. What they didn't understand was God was whipping them. God was whipping His own children. And they're over there causing it to be worse. 
they should have been standing by saying, can I help? You know, here's somebody running away, fleeing from the scene. <laughs> Come over here, I'll hide you out at my place. You know, I'll give you some food and some water. But they're calling out and saying, telling on them. You know, there they go, catch them. See how mean that was? We don't ever want to be rejoicing when our enemy falls. God is well capable of taking care of making sure the enemy's going to fall. It's almost like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, the Lord just kind of tolerating Edom. You know, they, oh, Esau, you know, he was angry and wanted to kill Jacob years ago. And, you know, they just won't quit their foolishness and their meanness. And that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. The Lord said, if they're going to do that, I'm wiping them out. And he did. He wiped them out. So remember that. If somebody who has set themselves at odds against you, or sometimes maybe you think they have, (laughs) if you feel as though somebody has set themselves at odds against you, or maybe they have done something, maybe they have intentionally done something to hurt you, you can translate that into so many arenas. The workplace, you can translate that into, my goodness, sports. You can translate that into so many areas. And if that happens, and they go, they hurt you wrongfully, and they go off and they fall somewhere, the first thing we should do is say, Lord, help. Lord, help. We should never go, ha! I told you so. This would be a pretty good formula for brothers and sisters or siblings in the same house, would it not? You know, there might have been a time or two when Brother Chris, you know, got in trouble for something that he shouldn't have done that I might have showed up at his door and said, ha, I told you so. I told you you shouldn't do that. Yeah, that made me feel really good in my natural self. He's just like, I've done it. You've done it. We've all done that. But we shouldn't do it. Who would want God to be focusing on that vengeance of his own and taking care of that situation himself? And then he goes, what did Tim just say? Tim just pointed the finger at his brother. I'm going to show him now. <laughs> that's scary, is it not? I mean, that, that's like standing by while your brother or your sister's getting a whipping, you know, and going, ha, ha. Well, the next thing you know, dad's going to turn at you and whip you for doing that. I'll never forget years ago, the only time that I ever saw, the only time that I ever saw mom and dad really get crossed up, and dad doesn't mind me telling it because he's not here, mama does, but (laughs) we were on the way to church one morning over at Meadow Branch over in Lamar County, and there had been a big rain. Brother Jim's smiling because he's heard the story. There had been a big rain, and the water was over the road. I'm sitting in the back, Chris is sitting in the back, mama's in the passenger, and daddy's driving. The water was over the road. It's pretty deep. I didn't really, I wasn't really scared of going through it because I trusted Daddy, you know? So Daddy begins to creep through that water, and Mama just kind of, she has, let me just put it this way, she has a moment. <laughs> she has what we call a conniption fit. She, and, you know, rightly so, she's scared to death. We may wash away in that water. I've seen that happen. So I'm just sitting back there keeping quiet, and Daddy starts telling Mama to be quiet. My goodness, I got this handled. Side note, by the way, he didn't go through it. <laughs> There was enough going on where he backed up and didn't go through it. Good old dad. Praise God for him. And so while mama's having a fit, daddy's telling her to be quiet. Well, then Chris gets involved and he begins to say, daddy, this, daddy, that, you know, and then daddy starts saying, son, be quiet. Shut up. I mean, it was just, and I'm just sitting over there going, this is kind of funny. You know? <laughs> I'm not doing anything. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'm just sitting there and I probably shouldn't have been smiling, but I was just, you know. 
And so in the midst of all of that melee, you know, daddy's fussing at mama and daddy's fussing at Chris and Chris is fussing at daddy. And he might have been fussing at mama. Who knows? Chris looks over at me and he says, hey, look at him. He's doing nothing. You know, <laughs> I'm like, what did I do? He just had to drag me in that. <laughs> so I don't remember a thing about church that morning. <laughs> I was too busy thinking about all that. <laughs> but daddy backed up, didn't go through the water, drove, what, 15 miles around to where the bridge was higher and come around the back way and came to Meadow Branch. And we all walked up the steps, you know, and got to the church door. Hey, how you doing? How everybody good to see you. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> but I thought that was a pretty good lesson to share. Chris was acting like the Edomites, you know. <laughs> I wish he was here tonight. I'll tell you he'd amen it because he knows I told the truth. But we don't want to be the Edomites. But if we're acting in humble ways, humbling ourselves before the Lord, there but for the grace of God would be me. <laughs> and we're not rejoicing over the fall of our enemy or when they get bad things happening to them in their life. We'll see amazing things. We'll see amazing things. You might even see your cause vindicated on your brother like I saw on Chris. <laughs> that was kind of Esau-like right there, wasn't it? But remember the lesson of Obadiah. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Pray for them. Thank God that the Lord has spared you when the chastening hand of God may come to some other person or the judgment of God may come to some other nation or country or person. We need to be careful not to rejoice over our enemy.